0: Everybody and welcome to the Hoovian Review. I am Michael. I'm Shelby. I'm the man with the burning questions, Colin. Hey, today we didn't even have an introduction. This is crazy. What's going on here?
1: Well, this is the Hoovian Review After Dark, and on this exciting episode, we're gonna dive really into the fandom of one Michael Herman, uh, the founder of the Hoovian Review podcast. Oh, well, this is new. Do you feel on the spot, Michael? Uh, yes. (laughs) Increasingly more so. I hope you feel that. That is my goal today.
2: (laughs) I will will be raising the temperature on your chair periodically for this.
1: Help. And for you guys at home, Michael is set up to a full lie detector test. Right here as well. We will know if anything he says is untruthful.
2: And you'll find out because if he does, then I'm going to poke him really hard and he'll yelp.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a very interesting lie detector test.
1: But, you know, at at the onset of this interview, I just really want to expand on the origins of Michael's fandom into Doctor Who. You know, what first, you know, when did you first, you know, hear about Doctor Who? When did you first experience it? And to follow through on that, maybe relate it. When would you say you truly fell in love?
0: Well, my very first memory of Doctor Who was actually the fourth Doctor's introduction. And I was probably extremely small, probably like four or five years old when I first saw that. I had no idea what it was, and that's about all I can remember. I didn't really start watching it, though, until around the, the mid-1980s when Peter Davison was on PBS. And I, Warriors of the Deep was the first full story I remember absolutely seeing. And the ending is what oh. caught my attention, where, where the doctor wishes that there could have been another way. Gr- granted, this is not the greatest story in the world. But that one moment where the doctor showed his true intentions, his moral well-being and everything else just struck me. And I also remember Snake Dance pretty early on, so it's very likely that I saw at least part or half of that story um, before Warriors of the Deep because it did come out before then. Um, but that one didn't it didn't register as quickly. It was very scary for me, I will admit that. Um, but it but didn't have
2: that like that golden moment. It didn't end. have uh, the golden you were, moment' you were quite as hooked. You know? I,
0: and Peter Davison, that moment for with Peter Davison hooked me in and I can, finished off all of season 21. So I basically Peter Davison and Colin Baker um, were the two doctors that I started
1: with. Okay, so you're four or five on, on first exposure in the world just as your memories are forming and you're having some real solid memories in your life. Well, how old were you now when you were really, okay, I'm following through, I'm in it, I'm a that.
0: now? Um, well, easily during that season, I think Colin Baker really kind of made it very simple. But what was interesting was at the same time that I was watching Colin Baker... I learned that one of my neighbors, who was just across um, the cul-de-sac from me, uh, was a Doctor Who fan as well. And she had a lot of the novelizations. So I was not just exposed to the Fifth and Sixth Doctor right away. I I mean, obviously, I I learned about the um, regeneration pretty quickly because of Peter Davison to Colin Baker, which, by the way, is my all-time favorite Regeneration. I don't think anything will ever match that for me. Um, what was so special about that one? Was it just because it was the first? Because it was the first, but also I think it was really well shot. Um, Graham Harper was the director for it. And the way he did it, um, the fact that Perry was in it, <laughs> and a lot of fans might know what I mean by that, um, Will, it, but also it just – and I was probably like this 10 is- or 11 – at the time, so I was—I had a crush on Perry. Uh, I, I will say that right off. You the bat. still
2: have a crush on Perry?
0: Well, yeah, I have a selfie with her, so I'm—I'm I'm totally okay with that. I mean, she's beautiful. Uh, Nicole is beautiful, I should say, um, the actress, and she's quite amazing um, in person. But I would say that um, during during the time that I was introduced to the Colin Baker era, I was also introduced to the world of novels. So I was introduced to the first and second doctor mostly through those novels mm. and uh, what was interesting was that pbs then surprisingly actually after colin baker's first season went back to william hartnell which is kind of the opposite of a lot of other fans because so many american doctor Who fans will be like oh tom baker was the doctor i didn't know anybody else tom baker was the one that i saw first i saw peter Davison, colin baker william hartnell patrick Trouton, and john pertwee all before Tom Baker, so I had to have an appreciation for all of all five of them um, before I even got to Tom Baker, who is ultim- the ultimate Doctor from the classic era, as we all know.
1: <laughs> That's a strong place to start. So um, you're you're getting you know the the classic show, um, you're getting you know the novelizations in the background, and of course you know past that, I'm sure you saw the movie, and I know that you're all caught up, you know, in personal um, new Who as well. If you Sorry, if I could just interject before we no, move interject. on from the start uh, of it.
2: Did, were your parents Doctor Who fans? Like, how did you come upon the opportunity to watch an episode of Doctor Who when you were four or five, and then again when you were, you know, older?
0: Four or five, I just have, they just had, the TV was just on PBS at the time, and I think I, ju- I just have vivid memory of the Tom Baker intro, and most importantly, was the diamond shaped. Um, tunnel that was in there um so i don't even remember tom baker's face i just remember that tunnel
2: well yeah it probably started and your parents were like this is gonna scare our tiny child (laughs) no
0: they weren't around at the time i think they just had left the television on it just happened to come on and i didn't really think much of it it just went over my head and then i didn't realize that i had seen it until much later um, but then I, um, for when I was 10, I, I believe I was, it was either 9 or 10 when I first saw Doctor Who and started really getting into it, um, my doc, my parents really didn't notice, I didn't really notice my parents noticing me enjoying it so much until they, until they noticed me always having to watch it every Sunday when it came on PBS.
2: So you just like saw... I program description and decide like like what made you know I just
0: saw it I just saw it saw it
1: on PBS
0: well, just by accident and then, and then I just started I, I it,
1: it came on you know he wasn't even looking at the TV guides this is pre-streaming false <laughs> well no like, I was looking of,
0: as soon as I saw the first one I was like watching TV guide to see when it would come out next so I remember look, going through those little TV guides from the Washington Post because we're in the Washington, D.C. area. And um, and er- every single time I would look for it. And uh, there were two PBS stations that had it at the time, WETA and MPT. And MPT was the one that really kept going with it because WETA ended up dropping it at some point. Um, and then it was, like, always on at Saturday night at, like, 11, So it was really late at night, but I didn't care. I even would sneak downstairs into the basement just to watch Doctor Who. And um, sometimes my parents wouldn't even notice. But it was when William Hartnell came on, that's when um, it was being shown earlier in the day for some reason. And so my parents were there when I was watching it, and they noticed that I was watching this old black-and-white television show, and they'd be like, I don't understand what? why the why he's so into this but then they kind of got they kind of got the ideas to why because it was such a big adventure show and they they were they appreciated the fact that I could appreciate something that was not from 1980s it was something from 1960s um, but I also at that time my grandmother actually started helping me collect the novels so every every year I'd go up to Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire and uh, there was a little bookstore up there. And that little bookstore, I can't remember the name of it. I think it no longer exists, and that's probably why I can't remember the name of it. But I w- they had Doctor Who novels, all like a whole bunch of them there. And so every summer, i she would help me collect a few. I would take some of my earnings that I, that I had that at that point and started collecting them myself Um, because that friend that introduced um, the novels to me got me interested in reading it as well so I was reading it and then and then moved on from there
1: I love it so I I I know you're you're a big man of Doctor Who and it's not just a fandom you know um, that you do love it but you're also a great man of knowledge I'd say about the about the series and how it is, you know, just kind of in, in general. Um, you gave me a really fun fact recently about the Doctor Who novels. I was wondering if you could uh, elucidate it a little bit more in terms of, you know, the number of the novels that are out there in comparison to other gen- genres and and fandoms.
0: Well, I don't know the exact number of novels only because they're so it's so huge. But at one point, and I don't know if it's true today, but at one point the Doctor Who novel universe was one of the largest doc- uh, novel... Uh, collections ever. Um, it's I know Doctor Who has won many multiple Guinness Book of World Records. Um, matter of fact, one was just issued for William Russell because William Russell is, is um, he's he's playing a character in 2022 Which that he character? played back in in Chesterton uh, that he played back in the 1960s, and that was the longest time between him playing the role of any other character in the entire history of tel- and of television and movies.
1: I think that's something that's like so fun about Doctor Who, too, because you, you don't know what's going to come back that's going to resonate with fans. You know, it could be something that happened 60-plus years ago that once again becomes relevant today.
0: I do have to add on to my, the beginnings is that there was a comic book store Um, in Burke, Virginia, that would sell a lot of the books and also had the comics as well. As a matter of fact, Doctor Who has quite an extensive uh, Doctor Who monthly magazine, which used to be a weekly magazine, and I got interested in that by going to this comic book store. And they also sold things like the Daypole toy collections as well as other Doctor Who memorabilia. And so I actually started collecting things from there and met my friend Andrew. Um, And Andrew uh, was a huge Doctor Who fan just like me. Um, And he had quite a collection, still does. And so he basically kind of... Uh, befriended me while I was in high school and we and I think the, the thing about Doctor Who is that you typically will find that little niche group of people th- in, throughout your life that actually love it especially back during the classic era when there weren't as many Doctor Who fans in the United States
2: but in the new Who too, I mean that's
1: literally why we know each other exactly <laughs> Yeah, I, I know you've sought it out too. You created a, a Tardis Tuesdays group where you know we, there's a whole uh, bunch of fans that might yeah. come in, watch episodes together, and you know on, on the back end there's there's a podcast here now. Um, but coming back, you know, just to just to the collectibles that we got in as well, I wanted to explore a little bit how your collection might have grown since just collecting the novels as you as you saw more uh-huh. memorabilia. You know, talking with with Andrew. What would you say is the extent of your Doctor Who collection today? Can I phrase it differently?
2: Uh, sure. What percentage of your walls are covered in Doctor Who <laughs> paraphernalia?
0: <laughs> well, uh, not to, I mean, I just have been putting more and more out lately. Uh, matter of fact, what, just to give you an idea, there's, I have two Daypole Millennium Daleks. One's brilliant emerald green sparkled and one's brilliant ruby sparkled and they're both sitting under my christmas tree um, next to the little uh boots that i have so they're they're out and on display at my parents house um but i keep bringing more doctor Who stuff out right now it i mean if you looked in my living room you'd probably guess that i was a doctor who fan um, the two shelves next to my television are all Doctor Who memorabilia.
2: And they, these are not small shelves. These are like going up to the ceiling, almost shelves.
0: I mean, let's put the
2: ceiling, wall to wall, yeah. I
0: mean, I mean, I've had quite a long time to actually collect things, and I don't, I'll, I'll admit that there's not one thing that I try and collect, although, except for the actual, excuse me, show itself, I have, I have an extensive novel collection, but I don't have the entire thing. I do have pretty much every DVD um, and almost every Blu-ray of the classic sounds series. sounds like
1: no one could own all the Doctor Who novels. Uh,
0: some, uh, well, my friend Andrew, I think at one point, he did. He was keeping up with it. I don't know if he still has. Oh man, maybe my
1: next interview should be with
0: Andrew. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, but, and he had the entire comic collection at one point, but I think he sold it all because it was just getting too much. Well, it was probably super valuable too. <laughs> probably. Um, but for the most part, I've rarely sold anything of, of the things that I have been given or the things that I, that I have bought. And I've been given quite a few things through, from my friends throughout the years. Like I have a doc, I have two versions of the, the uh, 1985 or 86 uh, Doctor board game, which takes about three years to set up, <laughs> but once you get playing it, it's actually halfway decent. Um, but it, it has Tom Baker on the front and you've got one of six different, uh, pawns so you can have, be one of the first six doctors.
1: Yeah. I definitely played more than one, uh, Doctor Who oriented game with you.
0: Yeah. I have quite a few of those. I have the, I do have the Doctor Who chess set, but sadly K9 has lost one of his, Mm -hmm. one of the K9 figures has lost his tail and so, and, and somebody accidentally spilled water on the wood. In one little spot, so there's a little bubble where the water had been spilled. So I'm really
1: character, as far as I'm concerned. There
0: you go, there you go. But it that's one that's probably my pride and joy of the collection. I do have the very first um, comic, from what I remember. I also have some of the pamphlets that the PBS stations were given by the BBC back in 1978. Um, And then I have, uh, I mean, you have a lot of signed things. I do have a lot of signed things i've I've met multiple um, actors i I would have to say that one of the sweetest memories was meeting Katie Manning, who plays Joe Grant, the third doctor companion. She and I spent thirty eight minutes talking um, well, let's hear
1: about this this conversation tell, tell us about it
0: <laughs> well, Katie Manning is very much like Joe Grant she is she's very bubbly she's mind,
1: he, who's Katie Manning? Why should we care about her Joe Grant is <laughs>
0: Well, I did say Joe Grant was was the character that she played the, from the there Third Doctor have. era, and I don't think I don't know if you've even seen Joe Grant yet.
1: I haven't. That's why I needed to make sure that we weren't just using another celebrity name. in There.
0: <laughs> well, we might have to go ahead and well, you saw her in Power of the Doctor. So it's doctor.
1: The th- Third Doctor companion. Okay. Yeah,
0: she was in Power well, of the Doctor just, at the end.
1: Let me just open the, up the scope here a little bit. So, um, you you've met her, and you already alluded to meeting you know your, the childhood you know.
0: Nicola Bryant, yes. I,
1: I was going for, which is Perry, I'm taking it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I want get, to get a rundown. Like, I, I know you've been to cons. Our, our podcast goes to Awesome Con pretty consistently and presents there. Um, and I know you've met some people. I, I've seen some pictures and selfies uh, myself. Can you give us the rundown of, you know, who you've met in the Doctor Who world? Your impressions? Like, any, any of the dirty details behind the scenes? <laughs> like. I, and here I'll just take it, let you take it away. Like This could be a monologue. I might have some pressing questions, but just love to get a sense of who who you've met, you know, if your expectations have um, have been shattered by meeting them in person or, you know, if it's pretty in line, you know, with maybe how their characters are or you know, if you can't even you really get that sense. But love love to just hear, you know, what I'm down there, Michael.
0: Well, I'll start with the very first celebrity that I met. And back when I was in high school, 1993, just to date me, uh, it was my last year there, though. Um... Uh, my, one of the teachers that worked there, I didn't have her as a teacher, but her name was Mrs. Ring, and she, um, was going to a Doctor Who convention, and she knew that I loved Doctor Who, because we kind of formed a little bond throughout that year, and so she took me. Wow, Um, you couldn't
2: do that these days. No. (laughs) No, you couldn't.
0: Um, but my parents are totally fine with it, um, and... What was interesting was w- WMPT was actually filming the convention that, oh, cool. and I was ac- I actually show up on PBS stations um, throughout the country because of that convention. <laughs> oh, neat! Um, I was seen twice, and I was seen getting Sylvester McCoy's autograph, because Sylvester McCoy, Sophie Aldred, who plays Ace, and
2: Sylvester McCoy played in the Doctor, and
0: the Seventh Doctor. Yes, I'm, most people know that one. Um, and then uh, John Peel, who happens to be one of the novel authors we um, were all there, and I did get, and that's back when you could actually get free autographs. They didn't actually charge for autographs back then. What a world! I know. Um, one thing that I noted was that Sylvester McCoy was extremely jet lagged, so he was so grumpy when we when I when I got to meet him that he barely said anything and was not really interested in. He was, I think, he was just getting tired of autographing. Sophie was delightful. Don't worry out there though cuz Sylvester is one of the nicest people that you'll ever meet. It was just that one chance. I've I've since seen him at conventions multiple times in this past year. 2022, I got to meet him again, and had a nice long conversation with him at AwesomeCon. So, I I don't want to give the wrong impressions. Yeah, first
1: impressions aren't aren't always it. You can't judge books by their cover. Exactly. I'm gonna try to make you judge those books.
0: (laughs) I've met Peter Davison, so he was the first Doctor that I that I met, um, or that I saw. And so I met him. I've also met I also briefly met Janet Fielding, who plays Tegan, um, and she's with the Fifth Doctor. I've seen in person I? I've seen in person Matthew Waterhouse and got to talk to him as he was on the computer in the Adric? lobby of the hotel. Yes, Matthew Waterhouse plays Adric. And you got him when he was on the computer? That's awesome. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I check out Earth Shock. <laughs> yes. I also um, have seen and met uh, Sarah Sutton briefly. Um, I met William Russell, who plays Ian Chesterton, uh, Peter Purvis who plays Stephen Taylor. Um, uh, both First Doctor companions. I met Deborah Watling just before she passed away, uh, and got to ask her the beautiful question, oh, and she plays Victoria in the second Doctor era, and got to ask her which story that's missing, which she most like to have back in the archive, and she said her last story, which is Fury from the Deep, which she had asked me, well, which one do you want? And I was like, Fury from the Deep. She's like, yes, that's exactly the one I would want too. So that was kind of a nice little connection. Um, I, but I think one of the most thrilling, uh, meetups that I had was with Colin Baker, of course, since he is my doctor. Um, I've met him twice now. And, uh, sadly he, just to give you the dedication that Colin Baker has at conventions is that he had a double ear infection over here in the United States and could not get any medical attention because his insurance would not cover him over here in the States. So he had to go through an entire convention, do all the signings, do all the panels, do all the things that he was supposed to do with a double ear infection. Oof. He did it like a champ. And he, he did talk to me about it because I actually went up to him, at, just literally asked him, how are you doing? And he's like, I'm really not feeling well and this is why. And I'm like, well, wow, this guy is really dedicated to his fans. Um, I have the, uh, the other thrilling moments where, uh, David Tennant, John Berman, Peter Capaldi, Michelle Gomez, and, uh... So that's the doctor, Jack, the doctor, yes, Missy. Exactly. Thank you. Um... Uh, I mean, the, the list gets, I think, gets a little convoluted because there's just too many to go keep going and figure it out. But those yeah, are the I'm highlights. Sure,
1: and I'm sure you're earning more badges and, you know, have, have your sites targeted on some future conversations.
0: Well, there's a convention in Florida this next year where Peter Davis and Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann, Doctors 5, 6, 7, and 8, and Christopher Eccleston, 9, will that, all be there. That's a threat. And then they ha- each have a companion, at least. So there's a lot going on there. So I'm thinking maybe that would be a good trip to to consider.
2: Wow, so then Billy Piper who plays Rose must be there because that was
0: Um Oh no, no it I guess it would be be John, John Bar- it's gonna be John Berriman. Uh Daphne Ashbrook, who was with Eighth Doctor in the T V movie, will be there. And so will Eric Roberts. Um Sophie was also Ald-
2: the T V movie?
0: Yeah, he was the master. Oh, okay. Sophie Aldred, ace will be there, Nicola Bryant-Perry will be there, Janet Fielding-Tegan will be there, and I believe there was one other famous star from Doctor Who. I don't remember.
1: So I know we've mentioned, you know, the the new era. We've mentioned the movie. But, you know, a lot of the prime nostalgia that really got you going was in Classic Who. Mm -hmm. If you try and just shut off your biases, you know, no one's going to do it. Just just try, though. Try and close your eyes. Where what what's the best, you know, segment of Doctor Who? Like if you say, Michael, we can only keep these couple seasons of Doctor Who. Everything <laughs> else is going to get lost over time. It's not going to be found in Nigeria. They're not going to find it in a <laughs> basement in Australia. It's gone. We can keep these couple seasons. Where is that going to be? You know, what what's the most impactful time? What what would you want to be preserved? Well, to be fair, I think there's two
0: sections that I would have to talk about. And believe it or not, Colin Baker won't be in either of them. Oh, wow. Um, per- and that's, that's, this is not just this is me taking away my bias. Right. Um, I would say that if you could take the entire John Pertwee era, which I believe is the most consistent era of Doctor Who, thanks to Barry Letts and um, Terrence Dix, who were the two showrunners at the time, script editor and producer. I think that era in of itself is the most consistent. And fortunately, it was also one of the most found because a lot of John Pertwee was missing originally, and he's all back there now for the most part. Um, There's only one episode that was really only found in black and white. So, Mm -hmm. Um, With that said also, I think it would be crazy not to try and preserve Tom Baker's second two seasons. 13 and 14, and 12, I almost want to put 12 in there, but 13 and 14 is really the Philip Pinchcliffe golden era. What happens in those seasons? Um, You've got Sarah Jane Smith uh, with Tom Baker to begin with, and then you transition to Leela. You've got the Robots of Death, the Deadly Assassin, Seeds of Doom, Brain of Morbius. I mean, basically the gemstone... Mace and Towns of Wang Chiang, all the gemstones of Doctor Who really are there.
2: Oh, you must have uh, Genesis of the Daleks in there too.
0: That would be season twelve. So I'm almost like I, I that's it's still all the Philip Pinchcliffe. Yeah, maybe if
1: you cut it out, maybe there's some some episode of twelve that you'd get, and most of thirteen and fourteen. But it sounds like a core for sure.
0: Personally, I would ha- I would have to keep seasons twenty one through twenty three, because that's when that's how I became a fan was. Peter Davison's final series, and Caves of Androzani. wow, what a stunning story that is. And Revelations of the Daleks, what a stunning story that was. Those were very compelling stories for me growing up. Vengeance on Varos haunted me when i watched that as perry was being transformed into some bird-like creature that was just I, and sill actually really worried me because he actually felt more like a real threat than some of the other rubber aliens because they made <laughs> him look pretty good and and the nabil shaban who plays sill just really shines in that story um i and i'm not trying to discount The new Doctor Who's because if I had to choose an era from the new Who,
1: and hey, there's a lot more classic Who, you know. Oh, I know.
0: Oh, I know. There's tons more, but I would say David Tennant's uh, season four. Oh, season four. You cannot. You, I cannot escape that particular season. I think season four and season five with Matt Smith, and season
2: ten with Capaldi.
0: Well, I'm just going by the best of New Who. I would have to say that kind of yeah, those, era those
2: two are, phenomenal. Are,
0: are really, really up there. I mean, season one, too, with Christopher Eccleston, I mean, half of it is really good. I mean, it's really yeah. hard. I'm I'm someone who really likes, if you couldn't yeah, tell, honestly, I like this all... This is
1: something that you should wrestle with. This is what I, I found interesting. I wanted to see, you know, that suffering too, that putting you on the spot, Michael, but I I mean, I think it's hard for just about anyone, even as a fan. Like I love Peter Capaldi, but Christopher Eccleston was my first doctor and it was a hard, you know, but it wasn't even a hard transition to get to David Tennant. Like I found like a new love and it's easier going, you know, there's, there's a lot to love throughout Dr. Who. And I I think we've, we've got a lot of like gleaming from you about what (laughs) there is to love about Dr. Who, but I really just want to kind of like, wrap wrap this up and start to go towards the end of the interview. Just get a sense of a, why do you love Doctor Who? But but more so, what makes it so important to you?
0: Hmm, that's a very good question.
1: And I know it's a big one.
0: It's a big one because I think Doctor Who has formed a lot in my life. It was a great way to escape. It was a great way to transfer myself to another dimension. It was a great way to for me to not really worry about the everyday life that we have to go through. It was also a very, uh, I mean, it had a huge impact on me as a person because the kindness that the doctor shows throughout all of his or her incarnations is basically kind of how I've run my own life. I I took a lot of moral um, ideologies from this show, and made them my own. If someone is in need of help, I'll try and do what I can to help them if I'm, if I'm able to. Um, if, if someone, I mean, especially those that are close to me, I'm, I'm really, I I don't like seeing people suffer. So I have a heart, I have empathy and sympathy because of Dr. Who. I think that really is what, where I learned how to have those kinds of things. Um, and I even have empathy and sympathy, even for the, the doctor doing things that he shouldn't normally do, and that's kind of unusual because a lot of people get really upset if the doctor, does something that's a little out of character. And I'm like, everybody has bad moments. Yeah, we're everybody all complex, has right? We're everybody ha- by one thing. Exactly, one thing. and so we all have our faults and we all have our issues. But the doctor tries to learn from it and and move on and, and do better in every single incarnation that he's in um but also it's just a sense of fun i mean it's entertaining there's not one story out there that i don't like watching there's not one story that i can't enjoy on some level and and enjoy making fun of on some level <laughs> i mean it's just that's how doctor who and and this thing, and i think the whole series for me kind of it encapsulates the the viewer because of the sheer amount of dedication that the people behind the scenes actually have they work so hard they worked so hard in the classic era because they didn't have a budget for it they worked so hard in the in the new who era because they were trying to shove out 13 full episodes with special effects and all the other things that were going on and i can see why it's one of those daunting tasks because doctor who is a huge program you do have to try and get the history right because it has so much history that even the show itself can't remember its own history there's just too much of it whether you're dealing with novels whether you're dealing with comics whether you're dealing with audio stories whether you're dealing with the actual television series itself There's so, it's so vast that even the writers have to kind of walk it back and say, okay, are we actually stepping on anybody's toes? Are we trying to rearrange things in a way that we probably shouldn't? Some more than others do that. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, it's just the, and, and I... I feel bad for Chris Chibnall to a degree because I do know that he tried. He had a vision. He wanted to get that vision out there, and there were some very good ideas that he had. I just think that that the job may have been overwhelming for him to some degree. Um, and I mean,
1: to be fair, I think it would be for anyone um, as, as well. I mean that. That, that resonates with me, and I, I think... But I you think most story, people would know that before they took the job. But, you know, he, he already had his toes in the water of the job, and, you know, yep. I think he had some good success and, and great contributions. Um, you know, he had some really killer episodes in his time, too, but...
0: And that goes for any, any of the people that worked on Doctor Who. Yeah, we can l- learn to hate certain people. I know Pip and Jane Baker, who wrote Time and the Ronnie, were really, really, really... Um, panned back in the day. Now they're being looked at a little bit better because, oh, okay, well, their writing wasn't all that bad. There are some good things that came out, and I think Mark of the Ronnie has gotten a little bit better of a reputation and some of their other stuff. I mean, they had to come into Trial of a Time Lord and basically rewrite an entire episode within one week. That's that's a contribution because the writer passed away. Um, I... Everybody that's ever worked on Doctor Who has poured their heart and soul into it, regardless if they got it right or wrong, or whether they got it to the best that they could possibly be. I mean, I, I feel like everybody deserves credit, no and, matter who and, you they You know,
1: were. I, think, I think they really made an impact too, whether it's good, it's bad, you know, everybody's going to have a different view of it. Um, and you're going to, you know, really make a, a meaningful impact on the lives of plenty. You know, I, I don't think it's just you who had their lives shaped and some of their core values shaped by this series. Um, and I think that's you know some of the most beautiful parts about fiction that mm-hmm. we can really delve into. I know our producers were just ringing the bell and, and knocking down our doors, um, so we're gonna have to wrap it up in, in just a moment here. But <laughs> Michael, if, there, if there's one message that you want to give out, you know, just as a Doctor Who fan, um, for you know how it's impacted you or advice for future fans, or I, I really just want to give you the last closing statement here, Michael. <laughs> What, what should we take away from your interaction with Doctor Who and, and how can you um, impact it and, and further it on to the next generation? No matter
0: which Doctor you like, no matter which companion you like, no matter which aspect of the show you like, just enjoy it. That's what it's there for. It's there for you to escape from reality. It's there for you to find a little part of yourself that you that you probably didn't realize was there. It's it's an adventure, and just enjoy it for what it is. Um, and don't feel bad for being a Doctor Who fan. Don't feel bad for liking Colin Baker. Don't feel bad for liking Jodie Whittaker. There are fans throughout the entire run of the show that that are out there and, and constantly get trashed online for, for their loves of the show, and I find that that's just wrong. You can like whatever you like on the show and enjoy it. And that's it.
1: I love it. Well, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate this time and dedication, and, and a window into your past, frankly. Um, fans, if, if you're if you're a fan, you know, competing with Michael, tell us about it. Prove it. You know, uh, write us write us here at the Whovian <laughs> Review. Send us messages. Let, uh, put comments in the, in the chat. Um, we'll interact, and maybe you will be our next interviewee. It's not a competition.
2: <laughs> Good it night, all, everyone. It always could be. Good night. Is, thank
1: you. Good
0: night.